Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot. And we're excited to announce that our audio-based 12-session business development challenge will be available on October 1st. 12 practical execution-oriented steps to predictable business development success. Go to leftfoot.com for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is Chief Corporate Counsel at her organization. Prior to assuming this role, she was in the same role as a member of the Axiom legal team. She also advised Orbitz Worldwide on governments and security matters while at Axiom, with additional experience at both Winston and Strawn and Mayor Brown as a corporate associate, and as an intern to the Deputy Counsel to the President during the Clinton administration. She's able to draw from a variety of legal environments as we discuss legal business development and client retention in today's market. The Executive Vice President and Chief Corporate Counsel at JLL, Mackenzie Phillips, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Mackenzie. Let's dive into our questions. We ask our in-house counsel this question because it really does lead to a question that many of our listeners have. What personal strengths or habits have you relied on as you've transitioned in-house and have had success. And we all know that the transition from a law firm to in-house can be a tough one. But I think as lawyers, there's a few areas I think that you can focus on. Number one, I would say getting to know your stakeholders is hugely important. And of course, your team. And if there's nothing else that you take away from today, I think it's that relationships, relationships, relationships are the ultimate focus of business development generally and and then specifically, of course, within your organization. It can be something as simple as, of course, identifying your team, you're coming into the new role, but also being deliberate about having coffee or lunch with those with whom you'll be working with the most. The other thing that I would mention is in every opportunity, you have moments where you can demonstrate your leader either as an individual contributor or as someone with on more of the strategic side. I kind of think of them as the four C's, connection, communication, command, and composure. With connection, although there's a lot of discussion right now about authenticity, I think it's really true where you really do need to try and bring your authentic self. You might not be able to bring your whole self to work, but (laughs) it can be such a deterrent if you don't feel like you can be your authentic self in your role to doing the work that's for you and to making those connections and developing those relationships as you move along. And the second one I mentioned was communication. And that's really just having the clarity of message and understanding your audience. A lot of times I work with outside counsel and they don't understand the audience that we're presenting that work product to. That's something that's really important. The third is command. Obviously, you want to show that you have credible expertise and you want to show confidence in sharing that expertise. And the final one is composure. Having the resiliency. A lot of people are talking about grit. Having resiliency with the task at hand and demonstrating judgment. I guess other than relationships, I think judgment, especially within an in-house role, that's very, very important and critical because in the in-house role, your business stakeholders are really relying on you, not only to give you that legal advice, but also to give you that, to give you that sort of blended business advice. Great response. And I wanted to ask, we have spent a lot of time talking about the millennial lawyer, the 
lawyer that is that new partner today, this idea of being authentic. If you could comment on an example of what works in that sense of being authentic, something more specific, can't bring your whole self to work. You know, that is a factor. If there's any commentary you, you have on either of those points, that would be terrific. It's something as simple as a sense of humor, or you have a bit of a sarcastic edge. I think being able to figure out how to use those things, especially with humor, to form those connections, to form those relationships. When people ask about building relationships, we encourage folks to talk about their interests in an appropriate place, in an appropriate volume, whether it's an interest in food or restaurants, you know, music of some kind. There's a lot of safe ground. In your role, Mackenzie, you have the opportunity to partner not only with other groups within your organization, but also with outside organizations, legal tech, legal service providers. Obviously, you worked for one, which has a prominent place in the legal ecosystem today. And then, of course, other work with outside law firms. What do you look for in those partners? What, what's key for you in deciding which of those partners you will be working with on a particular matter or project? I think there are a few things if they're a good fit. If the outside firm understands what our corporate culture is, that can lend a great help to how they work with us and how they partner with us on a particular project or task or transaction or litigation matter. And corporate culture, I think, is a big loaded concept because I think partners should have a sense for and work within the culture of our organization. For example, at at JLL, we're pretty decentralized. I think we're a little bit more laid back kind of generally. So just making that tweak, making that adjustment, you have to adjust to that. Um, The other thing that I would mention is making sure that you understand your client's business. It seems that that's pretty obvious. You run into partners that are working on on your work and they don't really understand how you work. Again, going back to the culture and understanding how your business works, taking time to read the 10Ks and read the public company disclosure documents that are out there. We're looking to those partners to be able to, in a swift manner, engage with me in a way that's comfortable and also provide the information to me in a very timely manner. Thank you for the different points there. One of the things that we're hearing is this desire not only to understand the organization, the client, the client sector, what they're doing. Do you look for partners that have formal business education or do you feel that curiosity and interest can make up for it? You don't necessarily have to have that business background. I certainly did not and and do not. But I think once you start working within these sorts of organizations, are providing services to those organizations, you quickly understand that you need to do more than what's in the four corners of the assignment, so to speak. I think that curiosity is definitely appropriate and it can be very beneficial if you don't have that background. The next question is this idea of delivering work product that you can present to whoever on your end is going to be receiving that. So whether it be someone in the business, to your board, or to you as a lawyer, you know, really tailoring that content. Have you given instructions to your outside counsel about delivery of content? Do you let them know who is primarily going to be receiving that so they can tailor their response either for the business, the board, or another group of lawyers? I definitely give as much instruction as I'm aware of. Time is of the essence throughout that particular transaction, whatever matter 
at or that we're working on. If everyone understands what the ultimate goal is, I think that lends to a better result. I definitely share that with the partners. Also, it's something as simple as, okay, this is what they have suggested that. So that's been very helpful to get along in this transaction. I think we should schedule weekly calls or biweekly calls. And sometimes law firms or partners have suggested that. So that's been very helpful. I do remember being on a call or CFO was on the line and we had one thing that came back that was really powerful for me from one of those conversations. You know, our outside counsel was on the line. She wanted their judgment. It was more of a discussion. I don't need to know, or I need to know the five different options, but I also need you to give me a recommendation and why this one is better than that one, which is better than that one. That's the value that you're looking for. The other example would be in our board meetings, board members are high functioning, taking in a lot of information. And then in the actual board meetings, you really need, and we've been asked to come in be concise, really being able to distill that information into one slide or a few bullet points, being able to highlight what they need to focus on. They're taking that time to identify and evaluate the risk profile for the company and if they should move forward with X, Y, or Z or decide to do something different. Great examples. And we have heard that on Left Foot that they really are looking to counsel in-house and outside to share an opinion. And they don't want the treatise, they want the opinion. You know, what is your opinion? What is your recommendation? And that's why they're talking to a professional and a niche-focused professional that has experience in this particular space. Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you to our 31,000 podcast listeners. Are you looking to refresh your business development efforts? The Left Foot 12 Session Business Development Challenge will refresh your efforts in three areas. Business development grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to leftfoot.com. The other thing that has come up often as in-house counsel, there is a realization that you have to be able to respond in the time required by the business to respond. When you started your work in-house, were you surprised by that? If so, how did you manage that? Yeah, I think in the law firm environment, you don't have unlimited time, but I think there's a lot more time available. If you're preparing a response to a particular matter, you kind of have an unlimited amount of time to prepare that. You make it perfect. All the footnotes are there. All the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. In the in-house environment, you just don't have that kind of time. And sometimes saying I don't know for the answer at that time is okay or giving a judgment based on observations at that time to move forward. And sometimes you just honestly don't know the answer to the to the question. Whereas before I was used to having a lot more time to prepare and think and form the perfect answer, you don't have that kind of time. Adjusting to that can be painful for some. Try and coach my team and, and the people that I work with to try and make that adjustment as quickly as possible. It's only through time 
time and through working with different people, you understand what you need. Unexpected things that happen and then we have to decide, is this something that we disclose? Is this something that's material? And you've got your communications team on the line. You've got your CFO on the line and you have to figure out how are we going to respond to this particular situation? And you don't have two days to think about it in a quiet room. You don't have the luxury of that all the time. Sometimes you do. And I think if you have that time, that's great. The bottom line in all of this is I think in in the in-house realm, 80% is often good enough to make that decision on whether to go forward on something or not. That's when deals are lost. We spend a little too much time and some other factor came into play. Things changed and especially in a deal or an opportunity where, you know, a decision is required. Once you come to a conclusion that's comfortable enough that it's better to move fast. A great lead into our next question. So as you work with outside organizations, what are you looking for in those first interactions in their pitch to do business with you besides the the fit and some of the other things we mentioned. Are there basic things that either have to be part of the way they approach working with you? Some basic things that would be deal breakers. All things being equal, that the firm has the the reputation, has the expertise, because that's the framework that we're starting with. It's only so many. For those firms, that assumption is there. So the next step is we'll have our preferred firms that we use for the larger transactions, and those typically don't change, although we might decide based on how much we've given to this firm versus that firm, in that we do like it when firms reach out to schedule that lunch so we can develop those relationships. And when something does come up, we're able to plug and play. That whole idea of being proactive and positioning your firm, your particular practice, developing those relationships, that can be so helpful. We do have a lot of firms that do come in and provide CLE presentations for us. And I think that those are effective as well. Again, if we're looking to, okay, you know, who do we need for X, Y, and Z? And then they're more top of mind. You've connected with that team or those lawyers prior to the the matter that comes up in the future. That idea of educating and using education as a way of sharing expertise and building confidence. It makes sense. No one wants to be sold, but they would love to be educated on an area you have a specialty. So why not do that? Terrific response. How about a success story? Either a legal services organization, a legal tech company, or a law firm came in and did all the right things to make you comfortable and excited about partnering with them. We were looking for a solution, a technology solution recently, and went through a full RFP process, looked at a few three to five providers. A couple of kind of fell out of the process. We found that firms that are really able to provide creative solutions, if they're responsive but not overly aggressive, we all get the email distributions from different firms that you're either currently working with and sometimes that you don't work with for one reason or another. Those are fine. In terms of maintaining business, the email that comes more personally on a topic that you would be interested in. So for example, on a corporate governance matter, on some new development or trend, providing some context and then providing some basic information on the topic. Eight times out of 10, I probably already know about it, but sometimes it's a great reminder. It's a great way to bring it top of mind. And then inevitably, we actually need to do something with that particular matter. Great segue to actually engage that person when needed, more so from a a law firm perspective. The personal email 
emails with topical references to laws and trends and developments that come up. Those can be very helpful in terms of maintaining a business. I've had strong results in a similar situation of providing some value in a personalized email. And it could be just the top of one of those normal mailers, but really customizing that message. You might find what's below is helpful. It's amazing how often someone will say, tell me more about that. The specifics of that particular client project all masked so that we can just share what occurred and and not share names. If there is an example of where you've experienced someone coming in and really missing the mark, they either took a wrong approach or presented what their organization did in a way that really didn't hit the mark for you, that would be great. I have a relatively recent one um, where we were looking to get a particular service. We had an initial call with the service provider. We got the first RFP response providing the scope of services they could provide, the cost, you know, in addition to some other information. We knew from looking at that initial response that we were not interested from a cost perspective on spending that much money. And so we had a follow-up call and we were pretty upfront about that and specific about what our spend restrictions were. We didn't get very specific, but I think it was just more, what else can you do for us that will fit into this box versus this much larger box? It just, we ultimately went with this provider because there's not that many providers in this space. We had to have several calls. It was not a good use of our time to have that many calls really is having that emotional intelligence, picking up on what your client or your potential client is really asking for. And it took three or four different calls to get to that. We are going to go ahead and use this service provider for a few different things. We know now that we have to be specific early, and it's probable that we won't use them for that much beyond this initial project that we're thinking about doing. It makes it a lot more difficult when you don't feel like you're being heard. That was part of it. And that people are not picking up on what you need or providing two or three options. This is the gold standard. This is the silver. And this is the bronze. And then if you need more, we can do more. But this is what it's going to cost. This is what it's going to look like. And so on and so forth. Communication on their part. Instead of trying to convince you that you would value the gold model, price tag of the gold model, being very clear on what's included in silver, what's in bronze, what's in silver, and what's in gold. And you can make that decision. And I think that clarity of saying, my budget is this, we'll need to work with in that. Of course, you were clear, they just weren't hearing it. Good segue to talking about innovation. What have you seen either by a current organization you're working with that is providing services to your organization or one that you hope to work with that you would consider innovative? I would come back to Axiom. I really believe is innovative and I do think not just innovative, but disruptive for the legal profession. And one that I've seen not only as a provider of the services, but now a recipient. Having been with Axiom for three years, just about three years prior to joining the JLL team as an employee, seeing it from both sides has been really eye-opening for me. I've been able to see how it can work where you can have a very seamless transition 
mission of having folks that really have a high level of skill and expertise, but they just want to have sort of a different framework for their life, but then are able to be placed and work in an environment where, you know, they can feel fulfilled, do sophisticated work, and where the client is very pleased. We have about 10 resources, mostly attorneys from Axiom and a couple of paralegals. We really see it as part of our way of being innovative and increasing productivity and reducing legal spend. We had a productivity prize submission in our firm recently, and we submitted one. And one of the points was we use Axiom and, and determined that we save hundreds of thousands of dollars by having this particular model. Um, there's another sub-model that we use through Axiom, which is called Surge, kind of blends a few of the things that we've been talking about. We have a, a group of Surge attorneys who have expertise in a variety of different areas, and we identify them as people we can go to. And then when we have a quote unquote search in that particular area on a particular matter, we have someone, a go-to that's already been vetted, that's already been identified, and we can plug and play really quickly. They represent, I think, a great example of innovation. On the other hand, in-house corporations also have to be innovative about using those opportunities and using those um, other resources that are thinking outside the box. Thank you for the response. Our listeners know Axiom has been a sponsor for some of our podcasts. It's been great to hear how often they are mentioned by our guests, you know, to see how they've been able to evolve their model too. When you think about when Axiom started, we weren't experiencing the market pressure specific to changing market conditions, more of a focus on cost and on efficiency, on the use of technology, on how the legal budget is allocated. Axiom and services like them are part of the need to be be more efficient, more conscious of how the legal spend is being allocated. Any other things that for you in your role has really changed having to be more attentive to your legal spend? You know, you hit it right on the head. Of course, law firms, but especially corporations these days are having to be more more nimble with fewer lawyers to deal with the disruption that's happening within the market. We have to be more thoughtful about quantifying our department's value to the company. I mean, I think that's always been the case because legal is looked at as a cost center, and that's not going to change. But we have opportunities within our group in terms of productivity and innovation, just for the general way that we think about our our legal spend, we are more focused on that. You know, every dollar, every piece of technology that we purchase, I think it's just, it's just really interesting. We really are using technology to drive productivity. There is more of an emphasis on using internal resources to do the work because not only because they have the expertise, but because they also have the relationships already. And of course, if we need them, right, we go outside and then they develop those relationships with the various stakeholders. But on a year-to-year basis, you know, we're looking to at least reduce spend if possible, again, by using resources and innovative companies like Axiom um, and looking to other ways. Artificial intelligence and how, how quickly that's going to take over the legal space. And that's going to be interesting to track and see how that works and how quickly that will actually happen. If we're really thinking about being efficient, being productive, where your CEO and CFO are looking at the general counsel or at least the team and and are wondering, okay, how can we do better here? You know, you really have to, you have to think about that. Mackenzie, many of our listeners are starting their careers. They're either in firms, starting the business development side of their role as a new partner, a partner that's been in slot for a few years and looking to expand their business more rapidly. What advice would you have for those 
firm lawyers who are looking to partner with clients, besides the advice you've shared, is there other specific advice about how they can approach this? Something we haven't mentioned, obviously you're going to use your internal resources to think about ways that you can develop business. But I think also thinking externally, there are some good organizations out there, Bar Association, where you can at least network with other professionals to identify opportunities. You have to get outside of your office. If there are things that you like to do, I think that you should really continue to pursue those things because you never know what other connections you can make through other people. I think that's just one sort of more practical thing. And if you have within your firm or corporation opportunities where you're able to to identify opportunities for business development with other lawyers in other groups looking externally for you know for opportunities more volume initially and then you're going to get a few back from all those different interactions that you make. No, absolutely agree and I think that idea of look beyond the four walls and within the organization within your corporation within your firm and then the things you do socially. We've had guests talk about it is that person that knows you socially that is going to be that connector to that client that might need your services. Or maybe it's, it's not the exact person, but it's the person that they know. Absolutely. It has to be out of the four walls of your office. Head down work is only going to get you so far in this area, but it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. I mean, it can be things you enjoy doing, it could be people you enjoy being with. Finding that common thread, if the person that you're interacting with has a need and they may not have a business need for you at that particular time. I work with a a wonderful partner at a firm here in Chicago and she knows that I'm very active and she says, I travel out of the country and I do these cycling tours in Italy. And I know you talked about going to Italy and she'll send me a list of restaurants. But I think it's really simple things like that. And you'll remember that person. And love that personal touch because it always, it means so much. People don't forget those things. Mackenzie, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? I, I really enjoyed chatting with you, Nicole. I think from a few of the things that we talked about, I think it's really just being your authentic self and focusing on those relationships internally and externally. Absolutely. Mackenzie, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.